gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Get your popcorn ready. It's game time, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a team that is known as Stoppers. Stoppers. The Athletic presents Hogan Johns. Every single play, go take it. Bring that juice. Let's go get it. Come on. Chicago's best Bears coverage. Go Bears. Go Bears. From NBC Sports Chicago, it's Adam Bogue. Yeah, he's still calling the plays. Nagy is delegating a little bit more responsibility. And from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. I'm still struggling to find this out, how everything is going to be coordinated amongst all the coordinators that the Bears have right now. Now, here they are. The Adams, Hogan Johns. Well, here we go. Hopefully not a sign of things to come for the NFL. But we're losing football already this fall. Not that Adam Johns cares, of course. Wrong, Adam Johns cares. For the first time in six years, he will not have to make college football picks in the fall. Congratulations, Johnsy. Well, I have to do them in the spring, I guess. But, yeah, yeah, sad day for uh, football fans, I, I think. Yeah, so uh, literally, as we're just getting ready to record this episode of Hogan Johns, and welcome in, glad you're with us. Um, we get official word that the Big Ten is postponing football this fall with hopes of playing in the spring, I guess... That doesn't necessarily mean, at least as we're recording this right now, there won't be any leagues trying to play, but I I don't know. I think we've kind of all seen where this is going this week. But it's good we have uh, Kevin Fishbane here, too. Our guy, Kevin, as we look at him in a Zoom call, I know our listeners can't see this, but his Northwestern stuff flying proudly behind him. And uh, hi, this is this is probably roughest on you, I feel like. You know, Hog, I was thinking this week, I, I was thinking of you as somebody else who could understand, um, you know, like Big Ten football has just been my my Saturdays, my whole, you know, as long as I can remember. I'm going to every Northwestern game. I'm watching Big Ten football when I'm home. And for those of us who cover the NFL, minus Johnsy, you know, who like college football, Saturdays are our one day off. It's like the one day to kind of be a fan and to – you know, just enjoy football, you know, whether it's, you know, Indiana, Purdue at 11 a.m. or some random, you know, whack game at midnight. Right. So and it's not, tough. not off for me because, but partially because I love college football so much, I get a chance to be a part of Northwestern's broadcast team. So usually Saturday, I'm somewhere across Big Ten country uh, at Northwestern's game. And yeah, so first and foremost, I am. Well, welcome into the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, at Adam Johns, and at K Fishbane. Uh, and read those guys over on The Athletic or right here on The Athletic if you're listening within the app. You should be. It's theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns. You get 40% off. The app is awesome. Uh, and uh, coverage all over the NFL, which we're going to bring you a little bit here coming up as we'll talk to Shiel Kapadia. Uh, one of the Athletics' great NFL writers who's got some thoughts on a n- number of things that affect the Bears. So we'll bring him in here shortly. But the news of the day is certainly the Big Ten canceling, uh, postponing its football season. Let's put it that way. Still hoping to play in the spring. But 
first and foremost, it sucks for the athletes, right? I mean, um, and I get a chance to be around these guys and get to know them and see how much work they put in. And like, remember that they've been putting in work since before everything got shut down. That was right in the middle of spring football for most teams. And they got shut down and then they, in the middle of all this, try to get back together and do more work and workouts. A lot of been training on their own uh, for a while, wherever they were at home. Um, so it's been a really tough year. And for a lot of them, seniors, they might not ever get to play again, depending on what happens here. Um, I imagine some will decide to go work on their NFL dreams, which nothing wrong with that. But um, most of them, the great majority of them care deeply about the programs they play for and represent, and that sucks. And then on a selfish you know, standpoint, just like Kevin's really bummed out about not having a Northwestern season, I love being on the sidelines and doing these games. Admittedly, I braced myself for this a long time ago. Even if there was a season, I was not expecting to be on the sidelines next to players this year. I, I couldn't imagine... Uh, interviewing Fitz at the 50-yard line at halftime uh, face-to-face this year. That, that wasn't going to happen. So I've been kind of bracing myself for this. And I guess my hope is, selfishly, we may be able to have may, a potentially a more normal season in the spring if we can get our act together as a country. Well, it still won't be normal because it's in the, the spring and you're going to have – you've already had some of the best players opt out as they consider, uh, as they should, their their NFL futures. Um there, I, I feel like there's going to be widespread dropouts, at least for some of the seniors who, who have serious draft, you know, considerations to think about first round, second round guys. I, I don't, I think the NFL is going to get involved in, in, at some point here, just in terms of having a, like a dialogue, uh, you know, with certain programs about like the grades these guys will get and, and whatnot, because this changes the whole scouting schedule as well. Just a, a lot of moving pieces here. And I don't think the big 10 is going to be alone. Well, the, I, I think the, the, the trickiest thing, right, is injuries. If a guy gets hurt in the fall playing their last year of college football, we see it every year. Bears, Jalen Johnson is one example. He, you know, had a shoulder issue and he waited until actually the combine to get it fixed. Okay, he's ready to go now for training camp. Um, like you can still have guys play in the spring and get drafted after the season. But if somebody tears their ACL in March or even in February, there's, they're not playing as a rookie in the NFL done. So that, that I think is the big complication that a lot of these athletes are going to have to weigh. And even these NFL teams, like, I, I don't know. I guarantee you there's no NFL team right now. That wants to see Trevor Lawrence playing spring football. Yeah, I'm with you there, Hogue, because and that's why I think a lot of the big time programs. I mean, every let's say this too: every player and coach wants to play, every athletic director wants them to play, every university president wants football. We all want football. There's just an understanding that it's not safe, um, and they're not able to provide the safeguards the NFL can because the NFL players have a union. They're able to negotiate. They get paid. It's different. You can't, you, you just can't, you know, the, the whole, all the issues of college football kind of bubbled up with this. Um, what's going to be interesting is if you're a freshman or a sophomore and you're, you're not going to the NFL, you're going to play a season in the spring and then turn around and play another season in the fall. I mean, that is from a physical health standpoint, that is really 
dangerous, risky. There's just a lot for these guys to consider in terms of how they're going to make this work. Um, you know, I just I just can't imagine the idea of playing football, like playing a full football, two full football seasons in what nine months. Yeah, yeah. Your your body needs time to recover, not not just from the the serious injuries that that'll pop up, just 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 from like hamstring pulls and like okay those could be serious but you know what I'm getting at like the bumps and bruises of the season can take a while to heal and you know there's like maintenance surgeries there's recovery times that play a factor let's not forget about concussions what if one of these good players you know suffers one late in the year like what's his timeline then like what does that do to his draft status like what do you do if you're Justin Fields you know at Ohio State like you know that's that, that's a guy in discussion for the first and second round, is it? Like, didn't he just throw, like, 40 touchdown passes last year or something? Like, what do you do if you're him and you're the quarterback of Ohio State? And that's actually something I want to clarify because as soon as I finished my last point, I, like, wanted to fight myself over it. So the sure things like Trevor Lawrence, I would imagine a lot of these scouts were like, okay, yeah, you're good. You know, we'll see you in the first round. We can deal with your evaluation with not having another year. But on the flip side, like there's examples like Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow would not have been the number one overall pick without a college football season last year. He wouldn't have been close. Like that's amazing to think about here if there is no season. So I would imagine for a lot of other these guys, because you know the scouting, the scouting business can be cruel. The more I think about it, the overwhelming amount of draft-eligible players, I would guess if you're a GM or a scout, you want to see them play in the in the spring. Because if they get hurt, again, this sounds cruel, but uh, too bad, move on to the next guy. You know what I mean? I'm talking about as the NFL evaluator looking at your, your draft board. Okay, bummer. There's hundreds of other players to choose from. That doesn't mean it's right from – you know, the player's opportunity, which is terrible if their, you know, draft stock is affected greatly by this thing getting moved. But I don't know. I, I just think everything about this year sucks. Uh, and we got to adapt. It's the college football world is just extremely more complicated than the NFL, which has an NFL Players Association. They can come to an agreement and solve all liability issues and play a season. It's just, I mean, it's kind of as simple as that. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing too about uh, you know the NFL it, it doing you know you saw all these reports from these college teams about their their positivity rates. I mean they were doing pretty well. You know Michigan put out their report the other day. That these you know these players were understanding what was at stake. The problem was all of these tests. Everything has been done with students not on campus. You know when the students come back to campus and you got these schools that are trying to have classes indoors during all of this, you're throwing all these different wrenches into play. And then again, it just comes back to the fact that, you know, these guys are amateurs. You, you just, you, you can't expect that this to work and maintain that amateur status. It just doesn't, it just wasn't going to compute. I am curious to see what the SEC is doing. I saw the SEC commissioner on Dan Patrick this morning and he's like, September 26th, our starting date. We'll see you then. Yeah. You know, and and supposedly SECs and Big Twelve doctors are telling them different things than the Big Ten doctors. Um, but I think if, if if you're an NFL fan, just be thankful that the NFL so far as we're two weeks into this thing has a good plan. We haven't seen a whole lot of positive tests. 
Um, and, you know, we obviously have a ton of questions on how it's going to work throughout the season. But right now, you know, the NFL is doing its best to, to make sure their, their season still happens. Well, I think it was Tom Pelissero. Let me try to look up these stats that he put out today. This is what he had. So NFL reporter Tom Pelissero put out these numbers today through, uh, or I should say from NFL research. And so 107 NFL players have gone on the reserve COVID-19 list so far. 80 have been activated. 27 players still on the list, which is 1% of rosters league-wide. 18 teams have no players on the list. Three players total have gone on the list in the past three days with 7,500 tests done. So I, I think the percentages are definitely working in the, the NFL's, well, the players, the teams, everybody's favorite right now. What if, you know, The Rock bought the XFL last week? or at least is trying to, or in the process, or supposed to. I think there's some hurdles. What if he swoops in with, like, this other league this year? Hey, all these college football players that said you wanted to play so bad and can't. Come play in the XFL, NFL scouts it, and all of a sudden those players are draft eligible. That would be an interesting wrinkle. What about the guys that don't get drafted, though? Do they can they go back to school or are they? No, I mean that would be that, yeah. that that would be it would I mean it would essentially just be an option for guys that are planning on leaving and training for the NFL anyway, yeah. and it solves the NFL's issue, which hey, we want to see these guys play another season of football so we don't see Joe Burrow fall through the cracks. All right, well, when's the, when's the combine going to be? I think the combine will probably get moved. There's a there's a hard set date on the NFL draft like you can't move past June 2nd or something. Yeah, I want to say early June, June 3rd or something. Yeah. I know this would never happen. I think it would be great if the NFL moved their draft to late June. And you know, because we the rookies don't need to be at OTAs and minicamp. It's fine. If they have to start in training camp, so be it. You know, it's happened already twice in the last decade that rookies didn't get to start until training camp. Push it all the way back to help these colleges out, help the college football, you know, that the, these guys that, that might be okay playing college football in the spring and then playing in the NFL in September. It, again, I'm saying this knowing the NFL would never do yeah. it, but it would be, it would be yeah. great to you know, really try to find a way to make a way to work. Kev, I would say never say never on this because if there's one thing that I'm coming away with here is this very unique year for the NFL is going to lead to a very unique offseason for the NFL because that includes NCAA football and what happens with these conferences and the top players, what they decide to do. And you know the NFL is going to want to adjust. You know the teams are going to raise concerns. So there's going to be changes. Uh, prepare for those changes like like our friend Adam was, you know, as he <laughs> awaited this this bad day for him because it's going to be different. It's different this year. It's going to be different next year. It's going to be the different start of the season for 2021. I do think that for all these colleges um, and not to get too dour, there's no guarantee that things are going to be better in the spring. Yeah. You know, with like with the way that this thing is the, the way that our country has handled this, I'll just leave it there. You know where we are, like who's to say that come March, this thing is at a point where we feel that much more comfortable. I think what's going to happen is like what we've seen with all these other sports leagues is let's get to a point where we can at least mitigate the risk and the colleges were not prepared. And I think part of that's on them. Obviously they've had months to figure this out, 
but they have it's much more challenging for them than the pro leagues. But now they've got another chance. They've got a few months to say, all right, if we're going to start this thing in February and this virus is still going to be around, now they got kind of their second second go to, to try to make it work. And, and meanwhile, guys, I'm not sold on the NFL trying to do this without a bubble. Basically, where I stand on this is that it's going to – I think this is going to be a lot like Major League Baseball. Like, if you – if Major League Baseball can't prevent what we've seen, two outbreaks with two teams and two idiots on the Indians go out in Chicago the other day, and Zach Plesak and Mike Clevenger, the second of which, Clevenger, while Plesak's in trouble on Sunday, is still around the team, supposedly reportedly defending his teammate, and then later comes out a day later that he was also out with it. Like, these players are just blatantly lying to their teams. Okay, twice as many players in the NFL. You cannot 100% self-police. Some teams may be able to do it. Not all the teams are going to be able to do it. Not the amount of players that the NFL has. There are definitely going to be outbreaks. And I just think it's going to be a messy season. I think they're going to be able to complete it. Like, that's why I think Major League Baseball is going to be able to complete their season. I think the NFL is going to be able to complete it. But I think it's going to be messy and I think there's going to be a lot of stuff like what's happening in baseball right now happen in the NFL. A couple, well, one difference to me is, is there's, I, I feel like you would at least hope that the, the NFL players will see what's happening in baseball and be like, all right, we need to be a little bit more serious about this so we can have our, our games played as, as they're currently scheduled. Two, like there's financial ramifications. If they're caught doing that, like you get finally like 50000 bucks. You know, you could be suspended. You can have like like your part of your contract voided. Can you not? Like, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a lot of new language that this you know revised CBA includes now that punishes you for behaviors like that. Johns, come on, you've been around these guys for ten years. You know, know what they do. You know yeah, what they do, especially after games. Especially yeah, after yeah, games, I they know, but, all go out. All but of this them is, do. But, but but this is different. It's it, you would. I, I agree. I think ninety nine percent of them are going to say this is different. There's going to yeah. be exceptions that say yeah. I can't resist, even if it's just going out to dinner, which by the way is within the rules. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's it's not all about just going out to the clubs and things like that. It's just, and and maybe they'll be fine doing that. But yeah. somewhere along the way, there's going to be an exception, and there's going to be infections. What what always helps the NFL? Well, they've had time as opposed to the other leagues, a lot more time to prepare for this. Their season wasn't canceled, but they don't play every single day like baseball. Like you don't ha- you don't have you won't have a Cubs Cards weekend series canceled, right? You may have a few players sit out, right? Depending on how widespread it is, but you send those players home. You have a few days to regroup. You could take a, you know, a test on Thursday, see how things are progressing. Having one game a week by its nature should help uh, the cause here for the NFL. I also wonder, too, if you know Peter King wrote this in March or April, and I probably said this on a previous podcast this summer. I think we also have to prepare. It's not going to be a fair season. Like they're, you know, and, and fair is a very loose term because I would argue like what's going on with the Cardinals right now I don't consider that necessarily unfair to the Cardinals or Marlins because they screwed up. You suffer consequences. But I do think that there's going to be a sense that there's going to be a team that has to play a, a game on a Sunday without two of their starting players who might be asymptomatic but tested positive. Like these are just things that are going to happen. And, you know, the, the, you know Ryan, we've heard Ryan Pace say, we heard Matt Nagy say that the team that handles this the best is, is, is going to, you know, it sounds really kind of callous to say it, 
is going to do well in the standings. And, and I do think that, you know, we're only in the, we're in this bears bubble, not the actual bears bubble, but just the, you know, what we do covering this team, everything we've heard from these guys, everything we've seen in the pictures and these guys practicing in masks, like they're taking it super, super seriously. And I do wonder if there's a little element of this is a team with a very small margin of error. It's not a, that great of a football team. And they realize they cannot risk losing a bunch of starters, you know, at, at some point to if they really want to try to, you know, get things right. So which one of you wants to be the one to tell Khalil Mack that his mask was upside down today in practice? <laughs> No, I'm not Ted doing it. Monikino's I'm not doing job. <laughs> I, I hope first the first time we get a Khalil Mack zoom, I, I think that uh, somebody should should drop that. Well, now would be the time to do it. We're socially distanced. I don't think he can kill me through a Zoom call. If oh, anybody uh, could, it'd be Khalil Mack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably. Uh, all right, guys. Well, we got a, a guest we need to bring in. Uh, but first, gotta take a quick timeout. Uh, I know Cav's been working on the summer bod all summer. Of course. And and, uh, hey, we're almost getting the fall bod season. I don't know what that means. But uh, for now, the beaches are still open. The sun's been out. And those bushes, they must be tame. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. They have forever changed the grooming game with the Perfect Package 3.0. That perfect package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, water waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations that round out your manscaping routine, Adam. Yeah, one of those is the Manscaped Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day or doing... Wait, what type of bathing suit are you wearing? Uh... Not the Speedo. Okay. No, okay. Kev's, Kev rocks the Speedo, but not me. No, but uh, you get 20% off right now. Free shipping with code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20 for a limited time. Subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. Okay, let's bring in our guest on today's episode, Shiel Kapadia, who covers the NFL for The Athletic and has some rankings up, which means we obviously have to debate these rankings because that's how it works, uh, but you can find them on The Athletic and on that athletic app that we're always telling you about. Shield, thanks for jumping on with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. How you doing? Good, good, good. Just, uh, you know, living this pandemic life. We, we have uh, college football, at least the Big Ten, being delayed. And, you know, we have rankings that you put out the other day to, to discuss, my friend. Um, where do you want to start, offense or defense? Good news or bad news? Uh, let, let's start with the defense. Let's start with the good news. So number five after being number eight last year. Um, but you have a, a very interesting number two I wanted to start with. How, how much, I, I don't want to say blowback, but you have the Chargers at two after they're the 21st. That's ahead of the Steelers, ahead of the Saints, ahead of the Bears. What's going on there? 
Yeah, you know, the way I sort of uh, attack these rankings was that uh, if you look at it, at least a lot of the analytics people will tell you that offense kind of year over year tends to be more sticky. So, you know, if you have the play caller, if you have the quarterback and you have some turnover in other positions, well, you know, you can still be like a top 10 defense over and over and over again. I think the Saints have had like a top 10 offense nine years in a row. Now, defensively, it's a different story. I mean, teams come out of nowhere. If you look at it last year, the Patriots, uh, the 49ers, and I forget, I'm forgetting who the third uh, defense is, but those top three defenses, they weren't even in the top 10 in 2018. And that wasn't really an anomaly. You know, this happens year after year. A lot of defense has to do with kind of turnover regression, turnover luck. You guys saw it in Chicago a little bit going from 2018 to 2019 with the interception. So uh, I didn't want to put out any old rankings where I'm just putting, hey, here's how everyone finished last year. Here's how they're going to finish the same way this year. I wanted to take some big swings. And the Chargers were a team. I thought they had the talent to be really good this year. I've heard their coaches talk about making some scheme changes that makes sense this year. So I thought, you know what? Let's take a swing there. If they end up being terrible, uh, what is it? Bad takes exposed or free, freezing cold takes, whatever it is, they can have some fun with me uh, whenever the season's over. Well, I know all about that. I'm the one who picked the Bears to go 13-3 and three last year. So uh, I'm, I have more faith in your predictions than, than how that went last year, Shiel. Uh, but the Bears were pretty good defensively two years ago in 2018, like historically good, and then dropped off last year. It kind of felt worse than it really was. They're still eighth, but you're, it seems like you're bumping them up to five here. You're expecting some improvement on that side of the ball from the bears in 2020. Yeah. I mean, I just looked at two things and obviously one is getting Robert Quinn in there. I know some people didn't like that signing. I didn't think it was a bad signing. You know, he's been a really good player. I think even with Miami before the Cowboys last year, if you look at so, sort of some of the advanced numbers, he, he was still getting after it. And, and we see it with these pass rushers around the league, you know, guys at defensive end who know how to rush the passer, like they can play into their mid thirties and still be effective. And it's a high floor signing. You know, he doesn't have to play uh, 80% of the snaps, you know, if he's just, you know, getting you production on third down and two minute drill, obvious passing situations, in addition to whatever else he's doing, uh, that's going to work out well. And so between Quinn and Khalil Mack and then getting Akeem Hicks healthy, uh, it really looks to me, you know, obviously doing these rankings, I was looking at all the different uh, pass rush units, all the different defensive lines. And it looks to me like that's a, you know, top three or four pass rush unit in the entire NFL. So like if everything else stays the same as last year and you just kind of look at those two things, Quinn and Akeem Hicks, uh, I think it really raises uh, what their ceiling can be in 2020. See, I felt good, Sheila, when I read your defensive rankings because you're probably one of the smartest people at The Athletic, and we had written pretty similar. I wrote something that went up today about looking at each player on the defense and all the potential because when you look back at that Bears defense and you're looking through all those metrics, everything was lower than it was in 2018, which we all expected, and you talked about turnovers are fickle and pass rush can be a little wonky, um, but they still ranked in the top 10 in DVOA, which is pretty remarkable. I'm just curious what kind of the, some of the numbers or some of the types of stats that kind of stuck out to you as you were looking and then projecting for this year. 
Yeah, I mean, well, well, that's a little bit of what you said. You know, I think I remember sort of doing a similar exercise last year at this time. And, you know, I think a lot of people were saying, all right, the Bears defense has to regress just because you look at the number of opponents' possessions that resulted in interceptions and turnovers in 2018. You know, like you said, it was historic. It's very unsustainable. It doesn't mean it can't happen two years in a row, but uh, it's very unlikely. And so last year was kind of the opposite. You know, they, they really ranked – um, I think in the bottom third of the league in a lot of those turnover categories. So that's another reason to be bullish. You know, if you're going to maybe get some better luck there, you've improved your pass rush, maybe that leads to uh, some more turnover opportunities, those types of things. Maybe you have some better uh, injury luck there, all those different types of things. So I, I just think sort of the foundation is there for a, a solid defense uh, to be in place here. One of the questions we, we have here in town is like, how good does – the offense have to be, regardless of who is that quarterback. Like, how good do they have to be to complement potentially top five, top ten defense? So they're good enough to be a winning football team. So they're good enough to 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 make it to the playoffs or qualify the, for the playoffs. So like, I look back, like I saw your rankings, and I look back at what they did in 2018. Um, like they finished 21st in total yards, I believe they were. The Bears were, where are they, 21st again in, in passing offense and 11th in rushing offense. And we all know in 2018 that was that was partially inflated because of Trubisky's running ability. So when you, when you went through all sorts of various numbers and trying to project what they're going to be this year, you know, regardless of who was a quarterback, like what, what number stood out to you? Like what, like what? What part of this Bears offense impressed you? What part of this Bears offense really concerned you? Yeah, it's a, I think it's like the million-dollar question with the Bears and really the NFC North because I'm looking at the NFC North and all the turnover in Minnesota. I mean, it's incredible with their secondary, with losing Stefan Diggs, with the offensive line still being a question mark. And so you look at that and say, you know, I kind of want to predict them to uh, come down a little bit and then – the Packers, they have a lot of continuity, but man, it's just the, the drama in Green Bay with what they did during the draft and not knowing if Matt LaFleur is going to go in a different direction. So I'm kind of tempted to pick like a surprise team in the NFC North. And so I, just going through that process, I've looked at the Bears and thought, how good does this offense need to be? Just like you said, you know, I, I don't think anyone expects them to be a, a top tier, a top five offense this year. That's not really the point. I, I feel like if they can get to like the mediocre range, you know, if they can be the uh, 16 ball in that sort of 15 to 20 range in terms of offense. If whatever combination you get of Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky, if that can be around like the 20th best quarterback, uh, I do feel like the defense can be good enough that they can either compete for the division or at least certainly compete for a wild card spot. So uh, you look at it last year, uh, I think the run game by pretty much every metric was a complete disaster. Uh, I think the run blocking, if you look at those numbers, was was really bad. And part of that is run blocking. Part of that is scheme, I think, for sure. And so uh, I don't think David Montgomery had much of a chance uh, last year. So that's something that certainly they need to get uh, figured out. And then, you know, Trubisky by pretty much every uh, passing metric was among the worst starters in the NFL, whether you want to say he was 28th, 30th, whatever. Uh, and so if you can kind of bring that up, like I said, to the middle of the pack, uh, I think they have a chance. I mean, they still won eight games with all those things that I just mentioned. So it's not like they need to make this huge leap from a four-win team to a 10-win team, and now you got the extra playoff spots this yeah. year. Uh, I think it's sort of a smaller jump 
than maybe a lot of people think. Well, you, you brought up the NFC North, and I wanted to ask you about the other teams because – and you, you sort of touched on it there. I kind of feel like the Bears are going to win the division this year, and it's not so much because of anything they've really done as much as I just think the Vikings are sort of in a retooling year. I don't want to call it a rebuild because I actually like a lot of things they did, but they're going to be young, especially on defense with all the changes they made. And the Packers, to me, are – I, like I missed it last year with the Bears and the regression, regression. And now I look at the Packers, though, and I feel like they fit a lot of those same points where they, they went 13-3 last year, but it wasn't always impressive, and you saw them get exposed once they faced the 49ers, which was twice. So I just – where do they where do they fall in these rankings? Because I think there's a lot of logic showing that the Bears could end up actually being the best team here. Yeah, I think I really think those top three are pretty tight. To be to be honest with you, I think the Vikings uh, took the approach this offseason as sort of a soft rebuild. You know, they're not going to be tanking. They're not going to be like a six-win team this year. They still have a lot of good players, but man, when you uh, change out your entire secondary there, when you lose Everson Griffin and then you sign a nose tackle in Michael Pierce and he opts out and then you trade Stefan Diggs. I mean, if you look at their offense, uh, I think Kirk Cousins has been in a good spot to succeed over the past couple of years, but it's really going to be a challenge this year. Adam Thielen is a very good receiver, but he's 30 years old coming off of injuries. Uh, Justin Jefferson is a good slot receiver, but he's not going to stretch the field like Stefan Diggs did. So I think they're definitely going to come back to the pack. Uh, it's offensively Mike Zimmer, a great defensive coach, but you do have to have talent. So I think they're going to come back and you nailed it with the Packers. I mean, they sort of fit all, all the sort of characteristics you look at in a team that is going to regress. You know, if you look at a lot of the advanced numbers, how they did in one score games, point differential, all those different types of things, they really prefer for more like a uh, 10-win team than they did a 13-win team. And uh, I just don't know what that offense is going to look like. I mean, everything they did in the offseason suggests that they want to be a more run-heavy team. When you're using a second-round pick on a 240-pound running back and then a third-round pick on a fullback tight end hybrid like they did, they did nothing to add the weapons around uh, Aaron Rodgers. It just signals to me that they feel like they need to run the football more, which could end up backfiring uh, against them. I'm still not a Lions believer. I, I know I feel like the Lions have become uh, sort of a trendy pick uh, this year, I mean, as long as they have that head coach, uh, I'm going to be skeptical that they're going to be able to make uh, any type of leap. So uh, I feel like it's the three teams are going to be competing, that they're pretty close. They all have strengths and weaknesses, and uh, I'm not going to buy into any of the Lions hype, though. Sheila, I want to go back to um, the, the Bears quarterback quandary because it's, it's Chicago, it's summer, it's just what we do here every summer is talk about the Bears quarterbacks. And um, in early June, you did a nerd's guide to the 2020 Bears season and you did this for every team and you, you, you talked about Trubisky and Foles and EPA, for those who don't know, it's, it's a metric called expected points added um, per play and you can get a little bit more into the shield. But when you looked at them, it was interesting, you know, Foles has done better than Trubisky against man coverage. Foles has struggled against zone coverage. Foles has been much better inside the pocket than Trubisky, things like that. When you were just kind of looking at them at the numbers and then knowing what you've watched of them, and obviously you, you covered Foles earlier in his career, what were some of the things that stuck out as you kind of preview this competition from a, a bit of a more analytical perspective? 
It's really two totally different styles, which is going to be fascinating. I, I mean, I don't want to say that you have to totally change the offense based on one or the other, because I think quarterbacks can operate with their own style, you know, in sort of similar schemes. But when you look at everything with Trubisky, it was just a lack of explosive plays, conservative, uh, you know, not willing to cut it loose unless the receiver is wide open, uh, you know, certainly more athletic and make more plays with his legs, can get outside the pocket. And then you look at Foles and you know where he's going to be. I mean, he's going to take the snap, he's going to be in the, in the pocket, and he's going to let it rip. He wants to push the da- ball downfield uh, as much as possible. The wide, you know, I think Allen, I think the receivers, to be honest, are going to really like um, I don't know if eye-opening is the word, but I think they're going to have fun playing with fools because a guy like Allen Robinson, you know, he doesn't need to have three, year, three yards of separation to get targeted. Foles is going to say, all right, here's the coverage. Um, you know, I trust my guy. I'm going to let it rip and throw it downfield and see if he can make a play. And I, I really think that's something that, uh, that can benefit them because that's just always been Foles' mentality. He, does it, he, he knows he's not a guy who's going to extend a lot of plays, uh, get outside the pocket. He knows when he has to get rid of the football, but he's not a conservative quarterback uh, at all. He, he wants to hit on a lot of those big plays. So it's just a matter, as it has been with him, uh, you know, he's a high-variance guy. You might uh, watch a practice. You might watch a game where you say, oh, my God, this guy looks like one of the worst starters in the league. And then you might show up to uh, the practice field the next day and in your, uh, in your reports might write, oh, my gosh, Nick Bowles was just on fire and defensive players after practice are talking about, oh, wow, that, w- that was an incredible practice. That's sort of the type of guy uh, he is. And, of course, the injury history – has been well documented. But, uh, you know, I think sort of you can look at the best version of Foles, which we saw in 2017, and it's a guy who was just on fire for a three-game stretch against, you know, a Mike Zimmer coach defense, a Bill Belichick coach defense. And uh, that, that ceiling is there for a stretch. I don't know if he can sustain it, obviously, for 16-game season. There's going to be ups and downs, but the ceiling is definitely there. Shield, to, to stick with your, your Eagles recollections here for a bit, you, you covered Bill Lazor, who is now the Bears' offensive coordinator. You covered John Filippo, um, who is now the Bears' quarterback's coach. What are they going to provide a Trubisky? What are they going to look for in a Nick Foles? Like, how, how do you think this quarterback competition evolves uh, um, with them now involved uh, in it? Yeah, one reason why I'm probably more bullish, I would say, than most on the Bears is I do think they have a smart uh, offensive coaching staff that's really going to make a difference. I mean, even Matt Nagy, uh, you know, I don't know that there's been a ton he could have done with sort of the talent uh, at his disposal. So you you put those three coaches, John D. Filippo, Bill Lazor, and Matt Nagy together, and I think they're going to do a lot of smart things to play to the quarterback strengths. You know, Lazor came in uh, under Chip Kelly, and so that obviously was a – Spread offense, no huddle, uh, up tempo. You had your uh, you had your run pass options. It it wasn't complex. It was a zone running game, and it was really a small volume playbook. You know, it was hey, let's let's figure out sort of uh, this number of concepts, and let's do them over and over again at this breakneck speed, where the defense can't substitute, the defense can't get into their sort of creative blitz packages, and we'll just uh, have a lot of success with that. It worked well. 
for one year. There was no real plan B with Chip Kelly, and uh, I think that that's what hurt him, and that's why he kind of uh, was pushed out of the league. But certainly a lot of those concepts have infiltrated offenses all over the NFL. I mean, when I was covering the Seahawks in Seattle, Pete Carroll would kind of go out of his way to say, uh, you know, I know Ch- I think Chip Kelly had that one in 15 season in San Francisco, but, you know, Carroll basically said he's really had an influence on the way a lot of offenses uh, are playing now. And then John Filippo uh, was a, a great quarterbacks coach. I mean, when you think of what they had to do, it was uh, grooming Carson Wentz, who played at an MVP caliber season in 2017 and really hasn't gotten back to that level uh, since that season. And then it was Nick Foles comes in. You feel like your season's over. I thought their season was over, and it was grooming this offense to Nick Foles' strength. So what did that mean? That meant a lot of those run-pass options. Uh, they added those to the playbook. That meant uh, pushing the ball downfield, like I mentioned, uh, w- with Nick Foles. And so uh, they just did a, a lot of smart things to work to his strengths. I know Filippo was known as a very demanding coach. You know, he's not um, somebody who wants to be the quarterback's best friend and be buddy-buddy. Uh, you know, I think he really challenged them. He pushed them. I remember one of I don't know if it was Foles or another quarterback saying that Filippo would give them these tests every Friday before a game. Like, uh, I forget how many pages they were, six, ten-page tests where it was basically like, here's the coverage, what are you going to check to? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a too deep look. You know, do you think they're going to rotate to a single high? Just kind of this, you know, and then he would throw in some other stuff in there. And, you know, I don't know that they loved that as an exercise, but it certainly, you know, those types of things really seem to get uh, the best out of them. Well, that's certainly interesting. A lot of things you were talking about there are maybe full strengths or potentially not Trubisky strikes. So it'll be interesting if they're swapped in and out at times. Last thing I have for you, and I know this news is a little bit fresh to all of us here, but we've been sort of bracing it for it for a couple of days. But it, as we got started uh, today, the Big Ten can't uh, postpone their season. And actually, since we were talking about that, the Pac-12 now has postponed their season we started this podcast by discussing what kind of impact that's going to have on the NFL and how the scouting will get done. And, you know, will players just not even play in the spring because they're trying to get ready for the draft? What, what do you think about all this and what kind of impact it's going to have on the NFL? What I'm most interested in is how teams sort of alter their draft approach to deal with this like you mentioned. And I think one mistake or one wrong assumption would be that, you know, you're not going to have the same type of information, the same type of film. So draft picks are not as valuable. I actually think that's a really uh, a bad approach, a wrong approach, because the talent pool is still going to be the same. It's going to be a matter of you don't know who the great players are, who the good players are, who the players you don't like are. But we look at it every year and there's so much uncertainty. There's so much randomness with the draft. I mean, people act like in a regular season, teams are just nailing this, these picks and it's like one through 32. Those are the 32 best players. That's not the case at all. I mean, they're operating under uncertainty every single year. And I, so, so I think what I think you'll see these smart teams do is that they'll say, let's embrace this uncertainty. Let's not be overconfident in our process. Let's accumulate draft picks. Let's trade out of the first round and get a couple uh, second and third round picks. Let's trade out of the second round and get a couple of fourth round picks because we want as many bites at the apple as possible because our information is even worse than it was uh, during a regular year. So uh, that's going to be fascinating to me. I think there will be teams who will say, shoot, we don't, we don't, 
know how to approach this draft. Let's trade these picks for veterans. And I think that's a bad approach. I think what I said uh, just previously about kind of accumulating those draft picks is, uh, is a better approach. And it's sort of a good natural experiment. I mean, they might learn, like they might nail this draft and they might say, wow, you know, we had less film. We put more stock into, you know, A over B. We put more stock into C, which we don't normally do. And it worked out really well. So it's like teams are always trying to figure out what's the right percentage of um, stock to put into the combine, into the film, into the interviews, into the character, into the injuries, all these different types of things. And it's an impossible sort of formula to crack, to perfect. Uh, it's something you got to continue, continuously work on. And so I think it'll lead to some interesting results, maybe some interesting conclusions in that respect. Outstanding insight, Shield. Really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, the rankings are great too. And um, just uh, if you go back and check out Shield's uh, page on, on The Athletic, just a ton of good insight on every single team going back all offseason if you want to get ready for the season. So uh, thanks so much for jumping on today with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Thank you. All right. There he is, Shiel Kapadia from The Athletic. Uh, and again, you can find all that stuff on The Athletic app. You can find him on Twitter, at Shiel Kapadia. That's S-H-E-I-L. And then K-A-P-A-D-I-A, Shiel Kapadia. Uh, a lot of good insight there, guys. Yeah, Shiel's, uh, Shiel's outstanding. And I think it's just... It's interesting to take these analytic looks because, you know, he was really hitting on something I think we've said all offseason, right? That this defense can be top five. So what does the offense have to do? And I think that so many people are just assuming the offense is going to be bad. And I have been saying, how can it be that much worse at, or worse at all than it was when we watched last year? I, I just don't buy that they're going to be worse than they were last year, and they went 8-8. Eight and eight. So um, yeah, I think it's interesting to get that from somebody like Shield who covers the game nationally, um, who, who really um, dissects the numbers maybe better than anybody else. Um, you know, and, and so, look, I'm always just looking for people to agree with me. So I appreciate that, that Shield, Shield agreed. Well, I, I think... Everybody should just acknowledge that the, the Bears' offense doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be top five for the Bears to be a playoff team. The defense can get them there. Now, you may need a quarterback to, to win those playoff games. Maybe that's when Foles' magic comes back. But, you know, the defense can deliver a playoff berth. I think the numbers and the history, all of it says that it's possible. And the offense just has to not be, like, bottom two. And, you, like, it can happen. <laughs> Not be bottom two. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty low expectations. Well, I'll, I think I'll, they need to get in the middle of the pack to be a realistic contender this year. I mean, look, they were they were middle of the pack, maybe even still a little less than average in 2018, and they went 12-4, and four, obviously with ridiculous takeaway numbers you can't replicate. But just a one little shout-out, because you guys know I love plugging my work here. Um, the story that that's up today, kind of going inside the numbers about how good the Bears' defense can be, I looked at every defensive player, compared what he did in 2019 to his career average entering 2019. No, and on, only one, only one player exceeded his career average last year with the Bears, and that was Roy Robertson Harris. Everybody else was below. I'm not talking about. I, I understand 2018 is a hard bar to reach. I'm talking about averages what these guys just do generally in their careers and all of them were below. So all you need is a few of those guys to just be average what they've done in their career. And already you're already, you're talking about a top five unit. 
and that's the facts. That's that's one hundred percent truth. All facts here. That's what it is. All right. Um, we want to talk about bubble guys before we get out of here because I know you guys had a piece on that. Um, but first, now a word from our friends at Indochino. All right, guys, you had a uh, back and forth on the athletic about bubble guys on this bears roster, which is uh, technically as we're talking right now, down to 79 players uh, as the kicker competition is no more. Ramiz Ahmed has been waived. A lot of news coming down in the middle of us recording this. (laughs) However, uh, it's probably going to be at 80 again because they're signing a safety, right? Is that a thing that's happening? Yes, uh, reports indicate they are signing a safety. Uh, Marquise, sorry, Marquis Christian. Okay. So is he a bubble guy? Yes, he is a bubble guy. Throw him on the bubble. He's on the bubble. He's on the bubble. Put him on the bubble. Let's start a wide receiver, though, because you guys both seem to think Javon Wims could be cut. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just, well, it's the old case of the, the writings on the wall. They drafted a guy. They signed the guy. You, you've had your chance here for a bit. They they drafted the guy last year, and they, they praised him. I guess I should name these guys. You get Darnell Mooney drafted, assigned Ted Ginn Jr. You, you still have Riley Ridley, and you have Javon Wims, who's been here for a few years. Um, he's had some nice plays, but you know what? Like They wouldn't have made all these moves in the offseason if they thought they were going to get something significant out of the guy. Obviously, they're looking for something different. Teddy Ginn Jr. and Darnell Mooney are speedsters. Javon Wims is not that. So he is clearly on the bubble to me. Yeah, I think Javon Wims has a nice skill set. Um, I just don't think the Bears need it. Assuming Riley Ridley is taking these jumps that they are assuming. You know, he can kind of be the number three or Al Robinson's backup. Um, you know, I think we also need to point out at the beginning of this conversation, guys, 16-man practice squads this year. You expand your game day roster to 55. So these players that we're going to be talking about, I would expect most, if not all of them, unless they get claimed elsewhere, to still be a part of the team, you know, practice squad or gain the game day roster, whatever. Um, but think about Javon Wims' career, guys. What's the most notable catch Javon Wims has made in a Bears uniform? Regular, uh, regular season. Minnesota? Third down in Minnesota in 2018. 2018, I was thinking the same thing. And that's when, you know, he was playing for the guys who were sitting out. And he, he, looked, he made a couple great third down plays in that game. Last year, he moves up the depth chart a little bit, has 18 catches, but can you, can you remember any of them? No, I, I just think... He's not, yeah. not an impact player. No, and if you're a fifth or sixth receiver, you got to make an impact on special teams. If you're going to use that word, he's got to make an impact on special teams, like, like Patterson does that. Maybe Mooney has some returnability. Uh, you know, I know Riley Ridley, like he he doesn't have that experience yet, but he's still in his second year. He was a, a mid-round draft pick, so obviously the Bears see value in him. And look, Javon Wims is not a special teams player, and I think that hurts his case. It hurts anybody's case if they're just, you know, singly a, a, a one-position guy and you're the fifth or sixth player in the depth chart. It'll be interesting to see if Riley Ridley can do – more take so he had a very similar game as Javon Wims did two years ago in the season finale in Minnesota. All of a sudden, he kind of popped up, hit a huge catch. I mean, essentially helped win the game last year with that big catch uh, down the sideline in uh, in you know what was sort of a garbage game. But 
it did happen. So can he take that next step that Javon Williams, I guess, didn't really take um, last year, but he's a little bit of a higher round draft pick than Javon Williams was. So um, it'll be interesting with the wide receivers. I did have one I disagree with you guys on. I do not think that Alex Bars is as big of is as in as big of danger as you guys. Now, the one exception could be the stuff you just brought up, Kevin, about how a lot of these guys manned up on the practice squad anyway. I just I wonder. It still sticks out to me how he came in and played at tackle in the preseason last year on very short notice. And when you look at what the Bears have behind Charles Leno and Bobby Massey, there's nothing that really stands out to you. Really, now we're in the future, especially in the future as a developmental type guy. And I actually wonder if that's sort of the long-term vision for Alex Bars Because I agree, like he wasn't even in the conversation for the right guard job when that was brought up in last week. I mean, so, but I wonder if it's more of a, a project that tackled than anything else. I don't know, Kev. It sounds like somebody's been spending a lot of time communicating with his new colleague at uh, NBC Sports Chicago, J.J. Stankovitz, <laughs> who is the Big notable Bars guy. Notable, you know, Alex Bars defender on the beat. But I do think, Hogue, I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> He's flummoxed. But here's my thing is, and this is the problem of not having been able to watch these guys, Yeah, is we have no idea if Juan Castillo thinks Alex Bars is a tackle or a guard. Because I had the same thought that I really liked what he did when he had to step into tackle. And I thought, he, here's your guy who could, who could develop back there. Then he, but here's the two things though. One, he got cut last year. Like they were willing to let him get claimed. And I think there was a situation where the Patriots gave him, offered him, and they decided to stick with the Bears practice squad. I don't remember if that was midseason or not. I think it was a Tribune report. So he he, he got. By cut the way, last another reason another reason why I believe what I believe on that. Like the yeah. Bears wanted to keep him. But not not like over, you know, granted Cornelius Lucas ended up having a really nice season for them, but they they were willing to but let him go. Things are different elsewhere. in week one. Like you have to keep the you have to keep your season priority. That's why I'm not ruling out that he may end up on the practice squad again, I guess. So I, I, I guess I'm I said that wrong. He may be on the bubble. I just I'm not so I think he's a bigger part of the plans than at least I sense reading your guys's outstanding piece on the athletic. I would just love, I would love to. And I, the reason I haven't asked is because I want JJ to be the one to ask about Alex bars. So we're all kind of waiting for JJ or Chris Emma to be the one to ask that Alex bars question, but it, it, it's just been interesting. He hasn't been asked about. And I just think it comes down to Castillo brings in, you would think his guys, Lachavius. Simmons and Arlington Hambright and Jason yeah. Spriggs and Jermaine Effetti and Alex Bars with a heat was a he stand guy. To me, the seventh round is always the time you, you, you really take need into consideration. Like like if we're gonna draft a guy, we don't know if we're gonna be able to sign him an undrafted free agency. Let's put need at the top of our list here and draft guys where we need help with our roster. And Adam, they drafted two offensive linemen. Guys who can play guard or tackle, depending how you know how Juan Castillo wants us to shake out. But uh, they did that with back-to-back picks. To me, that says like if we're just calling guys bubble guys, like that that puts a, an Alex Bars squarely. Like who's the other guy? Uh, Mustafer. Say a Mustafer, right? Did I say that right? 
Correct me if I'm wrong. He's on the bubble too. Like th- that to me is such a sign they're not sold on what they have at that position. All right, other positions before we get out of here. Any uh, any uh, anything else that you you guys want to relay on other big positions? I just love in Chicago how much people like to talk about Alex Bars. Yeah. And we just <laughs> did. I think that's a service because we understand what is on the minds of our listeners, our readers. Bears fans, it is Alex Bars. That's one of my favorite things about the just just this the this city in general. I just think I think one point we kept coming back to, you know, as we wrap up this podcast, is that this expanded practice squad where you could put six veteran players on it just increases the chances of a lot of guys staying here. You're basically looking at a sixty nine man roster. Like it's not not yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. See set you up, my friend. Um it's just different because of how the pandemic has changed the, the roster construction or the how you're allowed to construct these rosters now. I do wonder, though, how much movement there's going to be with so many different guys. And, you know, it, if guys do get claimed, I don't know, it's going to be fascinating. A lot of this is unpredictable, just like you guys, <laughs> we started this whole podcast with the, uh, the, with the draft, this a lot, a lot of things. A lot of things we're about to see are going to be unpredictable. I do know that I'm looking forward to seeing some practices next week, so we can get little nuggets like you just brought up, or I brought up, or whoever did about Alex Bars and where he's potentially lining up. Yeah, you could get a first, well, first person glimpse at the the real depth chart that's, that's taking place, and you know who's matched up with who, who's playing with who. Of course, we all want to see the quarterbacks, but the depth chart is partially revealed uh it always is in the training camp practices all right um we should wrap up since we're not doing college football picks john's uh, would you like to pick the blackhawks golden knight series Ooh. um hawks sorry don't care six. we're good hawks um, and six <laughs> hawks and six hogue will you fix the white Sox uh offense with runners in scoring position please uh i'm trying thank you i'm doing everything i can but then Larry Garcia slides in the first base. Just yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. It's like physics. It slows you down and it gets you hurt. So why would you do it? I don't know. But they do it. I'm trying. Um, yeah. And there's really nothing to fix with the Cubs, I guess, right now. Except for their bullpen. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen them play in a few days. That's, That's true. That's true. I'm just assuming the White Sox are going to be off this weekend, too, because they're supposed to play the Cardinals. It's like getting a little mini all-star break when you face the Cardinals. It is. Uh, All right. uh, We'll get out of here. Follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, H-O-G-E, at Adam Johns, J-A-H-N-S. Kevin, thanks for being here today. At K Fishbane on Twitter. Read those guys at The Athletic, theathletic.com. You can read their full bubble. What do you guys call that? Bubble conversation? Yeah, a bubble back and forth. A bubble back. A bubble back. back and forth. Um, I'm sure you guys will have plenty of fallout too on the whole college football thing uh, and and what's going to happen there. I I find it fascinating how it's going to impact the NFL draft. Um, And again, that sucks. It's, I get it though. I, and I honestly, I don't, it's probably the right move, but it sucks. So um, that's the bottom line, like everything else right now, quite frankly. And uh, I do think the NFL is going to battle through this though. And I think it's going to be messy. So that's that. In the meantime, we'll be back Thursday. Uh, you can read me at NBCSportsChicago.com, by the way. We'll have some coverage there. Um, 
And we'll be back on Thursday with some Matt Nagy conversation because he's supposed to talk to us on Wednesday. Looking forward to that. I guess that's it. We'll talk to you later in the week. (laughs) See ya. Hey, Mitch, I I think I'm up here. Um, 